1: Hey everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Truth and Justice Reply Brief. The Prosecutors vs. Adnan Syed. In this episode, I'll be breaking down the Prosecutors' Podcast Part 7. The bulk of this episode covers a portion of Adnan's defense file that became public after they were attached to an appeal. This is the first time that Brett and Alice really start to reveal what seems to be a genuine hatred for Adnan. They also make a concerted attempt to get you to hate Adnan in this one. We have heard, and we'll continue to hear, how Jay lies all the time, but we're supposed to look past that and see that really, he's a great guy. Almost a hero. But in this episode, they're going to make kind of a leap and point out that Adnan lied to you during Serial, and that is unforgivable. On top of that, they, well, in my opinion, insult all of our intelligence by claiming that the reason that people believe Adnan is innocent is because we were charmed by him on Serial. They make it seem as though anyone who has concluded that Adnan is innocent did so based solely on his personality rather than the case facts. After that, they cover how religion played a role in Adnan's prosecution, and lastly, they talk about Mr. S or Alonzo Sellers. While their episode runs for over an hour, my reply will be much shorter than that. The reason being that there just really weren't a lot of facts in dispute on this one. A huge chunk of their coverage on this episode is them sharing their opinions and trying to shape your opinions. For example, they say that Adnan lied to you on Serial, and then they spend 10 minutes explaining how awful that is. With stuff like that, I'll just let you be your own judge. But they do make some pretty obvious factual errors. The biggest one being that they spend, I don't know, around 20 minutes telling you all about how Adnan's brother Ali gave a statement to the defense investigator. but. Adnan doesn't have a brother named Ali. Ali is a law clerk who worked for the defense, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. First up, they begin talking about Stephanie. As I'm sure all of you know, Stephanie was Adnan's good friend and Jay's girlfriend at the time of the murder. Stephanie's always been kind of a mystery in this case. She was interviewed by the police on April 7th, about six weeks after Adnan was arrested. And that's all we ever get from her. Just some notes from that interview. She never testified, which Brett and Alice point out is odd. They surmise that it could be because she was too Adnan-friendly, so the state might not have wanted to use her, and that's very possible. But also in her police interview, she says that Jay had never said a word to her about Adnan or himself having anything to do with Hayes' murder until after Adnan was arrested. So it's not like she could serve as a witness to bolster Jay's story, because if his stories were in fact created during his police interview, then you would expect exactly what she said. Jay didn't tell her anything about it until after he'd been interviewed by the police. And even then, she doesn't share any real details. Now, another theory regarding why she wasn't asked to testify could be that she shared some things in that interview that could have hurt the state's case. We don't have a transcript or a recording, only the detective's notes. So just because they didn't write something down doesn't necessarily mean that she didn't say it. And that's the trouble with interview notes like this. If you happen to be of the belief that Ritz and McGillivary fed this story to Jay and then lied about him leading them to Hayes' car, well then how are you supposed to believe the notes from an unrecorded interview? Especially when the person being interviewed was never called to testify, and that's the big part. We literally never hear anything in Stephanie's own words. Nonetheless, there's nothing in Stephanie's interview that's good or bad for Adnan, in reality. Although Brett and Alice kind of spin it so that there's something bad for him, of course. They mention that there's a note that says Jay told Stephanie to stay away from Adnan. And that note is definitely in the report. It doesn't say when that was said, but it's in there. And they talk for a bit about Stephanie saying that Adnan talked to her while Jay was being interviewed by the police. And that part is kind of interesting. If you read the notes, you'll see that they're not linear at all. They kind of jump around in time, so it's sort of hard to track. The way they interpreted what Stephanie said was that on the night Jay was interviewed on the record, the night before Adnan was arrested, Adnan spoke to Stephanie on the phone. I think that's probably accurate, but it's definitely not clear in the notes because of how they jump around. What Brett and Alice don't quite have right, or at least the way they presented it, leaves out a key piece of information. Who called who on the night in question? So Alice says in their episode that on the night Jay was being questioned, Adnan called Stephanie to ask why Jay was talking to the police. But what actually happened, according to the notes, is that Adnan dropped Jay off for work at the video store around midnight. Later that night, Stephanie called the store to talk to Jay, but he wasn't there. Another guy was working. It does not say in the note that the guy at the store said anything about Jay talking to the police. It's probably safe to assume that he did if the police showed up there to pick him up. So at that point, Stephanie called Adnan. Adnan tells her he's driving home, but he'd call her when he gets home. Then the notes jump to when Jay finally told Stephanie that Adnan killed Hay, and then back to the sequence of calls. I'll circle back to that in a minute. In the notes, it says that Adnan called Stephanie back 10 to 15 minutes later, and she said, quote, You hang out with Jay. Why are they questioning him? End quote. And then, quote, Adnan said, I don't know. So the way it's portrayed on their podcast is that Adnan called Stephanie nervous about the fact that the police are questioning Jay. But that's not what happened at all, and it's very clear in the notes. Stephanie called him to ask if he knew why Jay was being questioned, and Adnan said that he didn't know. They're trying to paint this picture that Adnan knows the police are zeroing in on him, and he's getting nervous. Remember their whole story about how the day after Jay got arrested with Jen, he was calling Patrick and Christy to find out what was going on and to make sure it was safe to call Jay? Which, of course, was actually just Jay most likely buying some weed from Patrick while Adnan was at track practice. And we see the same thing here again. They make just a few minor modifications to what the actual document says. Instead of Stephanie calling Adnan to see what's going on and Adnan not knowing, the way they present it, it becomes... Adnan called Stephanie to see why Jay was being questioned. And then they tie that in with another part of the interview where she was having a different conversation with Adnan at a different time, where Adnan said he was getting nervous because the police were talking to other people about him, but they weren't talking to him. And we heard this before. This was back when Hope Schaub was circulating the questions about Adnan around the school. To try to lump this in with the late-night phone call is completely dishonest. Remember, Adnan was interviewed by the police on the 26th, the day before this, and he had another interview scheduled for the next day. They were talking to him at that point, so there's no way that at that moment he would say that the police are talking to everyone about him, but they're not talking to him. They were talking to him. That note is from a different part of the interview. And it's because of all this jumping around that, and I'm just speculating here, I wonder if Stephanie in some of this interview was talking about a different time when Jay talked to the police. Now, we haven't gotten into this yet. It's coming. But Jay's boss at one point told the defense investigators that the police had come and picked Jay up at work to question him about Hay's murder, not just that one time, but actually twice before the time we know about on the record. I think it's at least a fair speculation that maybe the reason Stephanie wasn't called to testify is because while she didn't know anything about Jay or Adnan being involved in the murder until after Adnan was arrested, she may very well have known that Jay was being questioned by police before when they claim was his first interview. And lastly, while we're on this topic, I just wanted to share a little context with you about how this night went. No hard evidence here, just some facts for you to determine what they mean for yourself. This was the timeline of events on the night before Adnan was arrested. Adnan drops Jay off at work at midnight. At 1.30 a.m., Stephanie calls Adnan, asking why the police are talking to Jay. Adnan tells Stephanie that he doesn't know, but he bets Jay's pissed because everyone knows Jay doesn't like the cops. That conversation happens at about 2 a.m. At 6 a.m., the police raid Adnan's house and arrest him, and he's sound asleep in his bed when they get there. So the thing to ponder is, How nervous was Adnan that Jay was being interviewed by the police in the middle of the night? The theory is that Jay and Adnan committed this murder and body disposal together. And now at 2 a.m., Adnan finds out that his accomplice is being questioned by the police. And he just goes to sleep. That's not evidence of anything, but it's worth asking yourself, could you go to sleep if you were in that position? This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's that time of year when a lot of folks are racking their brains trying to find the perfect gifts for their loved ones. Personally, I'm determined this year to surprise everyone on my list. No gift cards, no cash, no Amazon lists. I want to see my kids get excited and surprised on Christmas morning. I know that a lot of you don't celebrate Christmas. Maybe you celebrate other holidays or maybe you don't celebrate any at all. But whether you're buying gifts for people or not, you get to define how you give to yourself. And the holidays are a great time to do that. So whether it's by starting therapy, going easier on yourself during those tough moments, or treating yourself to a day of complete rest, remember to give yourself some love this holiday season. Therapy for me was one of the best gifts I've ever given myself. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you're not meshing well, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Truth today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Truth.
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: So this next segment is a jumbled mess. This is where Brett and Alice break down a memo from the defense file from August of 1999. Now, if you remember from a couple weeks back, I told you that this was the point when the defense finally learned that Jay was the alleged co-conspirator and that he had given a statement to police. But the statement itself was not disclosed to the defense. So at this point, there's a mad dash by the defense to try to figure out what was going on. They're trying to do background on Jay and, more importantly, trying to figure out how he could connect to all of this. Now, in Brett and Alice's defense, this memo is very confusing. The in regards to line of the memo says, interview with Adnan's brother, Ali. So it definitely looks like Adnan's brother, Ali, is being interviewed. The problem is that Adnan only has two brothers, Tanvir and Yusuf. Some of these statements have been attributed to Tanvir who has responded to that saying that what's in the memo is not what he said. It's more like a game of telephone. It's like I mentioned earlier, Ali is actually a law clerk. Now, according to Tanvir, he was interviewed by someone else on the defense team, and that information was relayed to Ali, who then wrote this memo third hand. The thing that the prosecutors missed was the beginning of the memo where it says, from Ali, meaning Ali sent the memo. Not that Ali is a mysterious third brother of Adnan's. And it seems pretty clear that something is mixed up here. The top of the memo says, these are the questions asked and answered during the interview. The problem is that most of the questions and answers are about Jay and Stephanie. And Tanveer didn't know Jay at all. So obviously there was someone else being interviewed besides Tanveer. Tanveer is Adnan's older brother. He's four years older than him so he'd been out of high school for almost four years. Here's one of the Q&As from the memo. Quote, Question, What does Stephanie have to say about the whole situation? Answer, Stephanie was telling people that Adnan had actually committed the murder, this being based on the fact that Jay had told Stephanie that he helped Adnan bury the body. End quote. So, Stephanie was telling who? Who that Tanveer would have contact with? A lot of these questions and answers read to me like the law clerk is asking questions of the defense investigator or someone else, maybe even Adnan himself in some cases. I have no idea, but I know Tanveer could not possibly have answered the next few questions. Quote, What does Jay do outside of hanging out with everyone else since he has left Woodlawn? Answer, Jay works full-time at a pornography store. Was that the only job he had, only source of income? Answer, Jay was the main supplier of marijuana to that group. Adnan's group, end quote. But then you have questions that do seem like they were directed at Tanvir, like this one. Quote, how much do you know about Adnan, his friends and habits? Answer, we did not talk much. We are two completely different people, end quote. Now, there's just no way that the first series of questions and that question were all asked of Tanvir. The answers to the first 13 questions are providing intimate details about Adnan's friends and habits of smoking weed and drinking. Lots of questions about Jay, too. But then, in question 14, the person being interviewed says they don't know anything about Adnan's friends or habits. They didn't talk much, and they're two completely different people. So really, I don't know, there's not much to say about this segment. Brett and Alice attribute every word in the memo as coming from Adnan's non-existent brother named Ali, but clearly the majority of the memo comes from a different source. And we don't know who the source is, because it's a memo that was sent from a person who knew what the requester wanted from it to a person who knew what they wanted from it, and it was not intended for anyone else's eyes but theirs. My assumption is, and it's just an educated guess, that someone on the defense team gave a law clerk a list of questions that they wanted answered. The clerk then filled in what they knew from all the sources they had, including an interview that they had personally conducted with Tanvir. In their episode, Brett and Alice point out that in this memo, it says that Adnan called Nisha at 3.30 that day. And even they say they're not sure how Tanvir would have known that, since he clearly wasn't there, and it would be odd if the information came from the defense investigator, because why would Tanvir relay back to them what they already told him? Well, bingo, he didn't. And it seems pretty clear that that part about Nisha did not come from Tanvir. And you and Brett and Alice would have known that had they read the entire paragraph. This is what it actually says, the full thing. Quote, Who is Nisha? Do not know her last name, but her email address is, and it gives her address, Nisha went to high school in Kensington and will be attending George Mason University in the fall. Nisha did say she received a call from Adnan at 3.30 on the day of the incident. End quote. Tanveer wouldn't know any of that. The defense investigator would. Nisha said in her police interview that she had never heard from Adnan after he was arrested. So what this seems to be is a combination of Adnan telling the clerk or investigator what he knew about Nisha, and then the investigator either talking to Nisha after the police did, when they told her about the phone record, or they just read in the police reports that they received in discovery that Nisha had said that she thinks the call was one day or two after Adnan got his cell phone. Prosecutors spin this as Adnan must have told Tanveer that he called Nisha at 3.30 because he's trying to use it as an alibi. Which makes zero sense because Adnan never once tried to use that call as an alibi. Remember what's going on here at this moment in time. The defense is still trying to figure out what the state's theory is. They had no idea what Jay said, and they have no idea what time needs to be accounted for. Even if you think Adnan is guilty, and you think that he knew all this information, Either way, he definitely didn't tell his lawyers any of that. So the lawyers and the clerks and the investigators are trying to figure all this out. They're just gathering as much data as possible. The phone records show a call to Nisha at around 3.30. They don't know what to do with that, but they're noting it. In any case, I don't see how any of that information could have come from Tanvir, much like most of this memo. Moving on, but still dealing with the memo, The biggest blunder of this episode is the fact that Brett and Alice make a big to-do about this huge revelation that Adnan's own brother says in this interview that Adnan is a very good liar. They go on and on about how this is why you would never want the defense file released to the public, because of stuff like this. How shocking that his own brother said that Adnan could lie about anything and you would not be able to tell he's not telling the truth. The problem is that if you read the memo, it is crystal clear that this part absolutely did not come from Tanvir. And you know that because what they didn't read is that right above this, it says, quote, couple commentaries by Ali, end quote. And again, the memo is from Ali, the law clerk. Now again, I'll say in their defense, the memo is confusing. And I think they genuinely thought Ali was Adnan's brother. I'm not suggesting that they intentionally misled you here. I'm just pointing out that they got it wrong. And there are actually two commentaries listed from Ali, but they only mention the one. Number one says, quote, Ali believes the police forced Jay's hand because Jay was on probation. Jay is basically covering his ass, end quote. Then number two says that Adnan is a good liar. And here's the thing. Adnan is a good liar. We know that. He, like many kids who had very religious and strict parents, had to lie all the time to be able to date girls outside his religion, have sex, smoke weed, etc. We don't have to wonder if Adnan ever lied. We know he lied. Often. But that has exactly zero to do with the evidence in this case. We don't know that Adnan never left the school because he said he didn't or because he was charming on cereal. We know that he never left the school because of all the other witnesses who saw him there and saw Hay leave without him, and saw Hay tell him that she couldn't give him a ride and watched them walk away in different directions. We know it because of the guidance counselor's letter, the track coach saying that he was at practice on time and left on time. And none of that is reliant at all on believing anything Adnan said. Which leads me to the last point in this segment. Brett and Alice read a passage from another defense memo. This one is from law clerk Kali. And I wonder if Kali and Ali are the same person. I don't know, but obviously the names are only one letter apart, so maybe a typo somewhere? I don't know. But either way, in this memo, Kali is talking to Adnan himself. And In the memo, he says that because Hay had to pick up who he calls her niece after school, that he and Hay would make quick trips to the Best Buy parking lot to have sex. So that's something that we already knew, and Jay knew that. He said as much as in his interview with the police which, if you're in the J, made up the whole story camp, makes sense as to how Best Buy came into the narrative. Remember, in the first interview, Jay said that the trunk pop happened on Edmondson Avenue. But then, when he was confronted with the phone records and shown that the phone was over in the Security Square Mall area, suddenly Jay changes it to Best Buy, the place where Adnan had told him that he and Hay had had sex before after school. But that's neither here nor there. The point is that we all already knew that Adnan had sex with Hay at the Best Buy in the past. But Brett and Alice use this note to admonish Adnan for not lying to investigators, but lying to you. And the way they make that point is a little bit tricky. So they point out that on Serial, Adnan said that he wouldn't get a ride with Hay after school because she had to pick up her cousin. So they don't misquote anything, but if you're listening to it, it gets very confusing. They recount him saying that, and then blend that together with a quote from the memo, and then say that he absolutely lied to you, the audience of Serial. Maybe it's just me, listen for yourself, but I was confused enough to ask for help trying to find in Serial where Adnan said he never had sex at Best Buy, which, by the way, he never did. Then once I realized, thanks to some listeners who went through all the transcripts from Serial, I re-listened to the prosecutor's episode and finally figured out what they were saying. This is their train of logic. Adnan told the defense team that sometimes he and Hay would go to the Best Buy parking lot to have sex before she would pick up her cousin. But then, on Serial, he said he wouldn't get a ride from Hay because she had to pick up her cousin. So, that's a lie because she had time to go have sex, so therefore, she would have time to give him a ride. That's the lie. But you have to listen to episode 4 of Serial where he said that to get some context. First of all, Sarah Koenig recorded dozens of hours of calls with Adnan. And neither he nor anyone else knew that this was a podcast to be recorded. These were just hours and hours of recorded conversation for some story she was putting together. And what we heard was one little snidbit about this. And the context is when she's trying to get him to remember his day, and she says that the state says he wanted Hay to give him a ride. And he says, no, that's not right. I wouldn't have asked for a ride because she had to pick up her cousin. Paraphrasing, but give it a listen for yourself. So when they say that you as a listener of serials should feel like Adnan lied to your face, that was the lie. So do with that what you will.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? The next stop for the prosecutors is how religion played a role in Adnan's trial. To their credit, they address the consultant's reports that lie in the prosecutor's file. You might remember those reports that claim Hayes' murder was an honor killing. Brett and Alice both agree that this is a pretty wild take on the case. In fact, Alice says it's incredibly offensive and she's absolutely right. The point they make is that religion really didn't play a huge role in the trial. And for what it's worth, I do agree with them on that. Racial and religious bigotry most definitely played a huge role in this case, particularly at the bail hearing. But that was actually a shift from opening to closing statements. In Yurik's opening statement, he said that Adnan's, quote, honor had been besmirched by Hay. So there was definitely an undertone, but by closing, Yurik abandoned that train of logic altogether. Credit where credit is due, I do agree with Breton Owls on this point. Religion did play a massive role in the case pre-trial, and there was an element of it in the trial itself, but it wasn't the focus of the state's case. Now all that being said, Brett and Alice never really get into the closing arguments in detail. So that will be an extra episode that I'm going to put together because these closing arguments are riddled with lies. For just one example, Urich says that it only takes 15 seconds to strangle a person to death. And that is patently false. It takes minutes to die from strangulation. That's just one point. I'll go through them all in a later episode. But for now, we move on to their last segment, which is about Alonzo Sellers. Sellers is an interesting character, to say the least. Right now, let's touch on the little bit that we know about him in this episode and pretty much write him off as a suspect based on his time card saying that he clocked out of work at 4 p.m. on the day of Hayes' murder. Personally, I don't know what to think about him, especially now. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on Sellers because most of this has been covered before. We know that he was a streaker, we know that he discovered Hayes' body under strained circumstances, and we know that he first failed a polygraph and then six days later he passed one. First and foremost, I don't think that we can rule Sellers out simply because he clocked out of work at 4 p.m., and this is why. On the day that he discovered Hayes' body, he had left work to go home, drank a beer, and then took a bit of an odd route to get back, when he supposedly stopped to pee and then he found Hay's body. He did all of that while he was on the clock. So first and foremost, he appears to have had the freedom to leave work without clocking out. That doesn't mean he has anything to do with the murder. I'm just pointing out that for him, being on the clock really doesn't mean anything. Now, aside from the strangeness of how he found the body, it's also concerning that he failed his first polygraph. In that test, he was asked the following relevant questions. Quote, are you attempting to withhold any information about the death of the female you found in the park? No. Did you do anything to that girl to cause her death? No. Have you ever been in the company of that girl you found before the day you found her? No. Have you ever been to the spot where the girl was found before the day you found her? No. End quote. The examiner said that Sellers was showing indications of deception for all the relevant questions, But he also said that Alonzo was worried about being late to pick up his wife that day, and that was causing him stress. Because of that, the examiner suggested that he be retested at a later date. Now, first of all, I need to say that I'm not sold on polygraph tests. Anybody that's listened to me for a long time knows that. There's a reason they're not admissible in court. But for what it's worth, the thing I find odd about Sellers' first exam is that if you look at the scores, There is a distinct difference in his responses to the relevant questions and the control questions. And the way they are asked is to kind of pepper in the relevant questions in between the control questions. I have no idea how to properly read a polygraph report, but I do know that there is an obvious difference in the scores of the control questions when compared to the relevant ones. It would seem to me that if it was an outside stressor causing him to show deception, then we should see sellers consistently showing deception across the board, not just on the relevant questions. But like I said, I'm not a polygraph examiner, so what do I know? Now, what's really interesting here is the timing of the tests and the way the questions are changed. So the first test was conducted on February 18th. At that point, Ritz and McGillivary had just received add-non cell records. They had been requested after the anonymous tip on February 12th. So by the 18th, they have the records, and they perform this test, the one I just read to you. But then on February 24th, two days after they received the cell site data from at and and just two days before Jen is interviewed and the dominoes start falling for Adnan, Seller is given the second polygraph. and this one, he passes, but the questions are very different. Quote, Do you know if that girl you found died because she was stabbed with a knife? No. Do you know if that girl you found was died because she was shot? No. Do you know if that girl you found died because she was poisoned? No. Do you know if that girl you found died because she was choked? No. Do you know if that girl you found died because she was hit with a baseball bat? No. Do you know if that girl you found died because she was hit with a tire iron? No. Do you know if that girl you found died because she was run over by a car? No. End quote. No deception indicated on those questions, and Sellers was officially cleared as a suspect. I have no idea why the questions were changed so dramatically in this test. I've been told that the examiner wouldn't want to re-ask the same questions as last time because the suspect could prepare for it and beat the test, but I just personally would have loved to see them ask some broader questions. Have you ever been in the presence of the girl you found? Did you do anything to hurt that girl you found? Did you kill that girl? Did you bury her body? Did you know where her body was before you reported it to police? Questions like that. But unfortunately, they didn't do that, and Sellers is now out of the picture. But really, he wasn't the focus at that point anyway. Rich and McGillivary were going full steam of head after Adnan at this point. Between the two polygraphs is not only when they received the cell site location for Adnan's calls, but also, and more on this in another episode, February 21st is one of the days when Jay's boss says that police picked Jay up to be questioned about Hayes' murder. Five days before they ever talked to Jen, by the way. If you look at the case file, it seems pretty clear that by the 24th, when this polygraph was conducted, Adnan was in their crosshairs, and clearing Sellers was just a box to be checked off. Which is one of the reasons cited by the state's attorney last year for overturning Adnan's conviction. After reviewing the full case file, and after the judge did the same, Both agreed that Adnan's conviction should be overturned partially based on the fact that Sellers was not properly cleared as a suspect. Now, none of us are privy to what's in those files yet. But remember, it wasn't just Mosby and her team that thought the Brady material contained inside warranted a new trial. The judge reviewed all those files, the ones we haven't seen, and agreed that the conviction should be overturned. And one thing we did learn from the little bit of information that was released was that of the two suspects that were cited, one of them had means, motive, and opportunity to kill Hay, and the other had motive. Based on context, it's pretty well accepted that those two suspects are Bilal and Alonzo Sellers. The order to vacate also stated that one of the two suspects had a relative that lived in the neighborhood where Hay's car was found. It didn't take the online sleuthing community more than a couple days to figure out that Alonzo Sellers' brother's wife was living in one of the homes adjacent to the parking area where the car was found at the time. It's also been discovered that Sellers in later years did escalate from streaking to actually assaulting a woman in her car. So at the end of the day, there's a big question mark on Alonzo Sellers. There's not much point in speculating or theorizing if, how, or where he was involved in the murder because there are just too many unknowns right now. And that's one of the reasons that doing this series is so important to me. This case needs to be solved. I believe with everything in me that Adnan is innocent. The facts of the case make that very, very clear. And that means that Hayes Killer is still out there. And the only way that they will ever be brought to justice is if public pressure forces the Baltimore PD to reopen the case and find out what really happened. Find out if sellers really should be cleared. Find out who killed Hay. As Janet so eloquently put it in one of our follow-up episodes, Do your damn job. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team. Pamela Westby, Kathy McAlaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kay Wood-Yomnik, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free, and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice podcast fans page for all of you tweeters out there you can connect with us on twitter at truth justice pod and i can be found on social media at bob ruff truth however you do it stay engaged stay in touch but as for now i'm signing off i'm bob ruff and this has been truth and justice